Can you hear me all right? <clears throat> Good, because I got a bit of a... Um, yeah, my voice is not as strong as it normally is. Well, good morning. Uh, I hope you are just excited. I hope you're on the edge of your seats and this morning. Not so much because of me. If you were here last week, you heard Joe talking about Christmas and all that excitement about Christmas. But there's something that's even more exciting. I was just listening to a talk this week about pursuing the manifest presence of God. And they were talking about traditions like our church is that we often look uh, and press into the presence of God when it comes to things like particularly worship and ministry. But as he started, he said, the traditional way that the church has pursued the manifest presence of God to encounter him is being through God's word. And that really just kind of challenged me. When Jesus said, you know, seek me and you will find me, that's what he's expecting people to do, to go to the word of God and to seek him and to find me. And so let's come with that expectation. When I heard that, it kind of challenged me because sometimes we're thinking, oh, I wish this would go on and on and go on. When's the ministry going to come? Because I really want to encounter the spirit of God. Let us encounter the spirit of God, Jesus, and his word today. Let us come with that hunger. So I'm going to ask Katie to come and read our passage from 1 Corinthians 12. And um, it if you are able, we don't normally do this in our church tradition, could you stand? So I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshipping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else the one spirit gives the gift of healing he gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy he gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Blessed be your word, God. May it quicken our hearts, open our eyes, and speak to us this morning. Amen. Feel free to sit down. And I would encourage us, it's not exactly my talk, 
But let us come. It challenged me as I heard that this week. Let us come with that kind of anticipation and hunger when we come to read God's word publicly or in our own time. Somebody who works a lot with both Muslims and interacts with Jews, you really appreciate that the appreciation they have for their holy books. You know, they will literally kiss the book, place the book in their forehead. I'm not saying that we should do that, but let us come with a greater hunger and anticipation as we come to lead. Right, if you've been here the last few weeks, if you haven't, we've been kind of doing a little mini-series as part of this bigger series that kind of multiply, expanding the kingdom of God, seeing the breakthrough of God in our lives. And one of the things that we've been talking about is this kind of desire that we are called to kind of what we call do the stuff. It's what John Wimbury said at the vineyard said, to do the things that we read and we read in the Bible. And also this idea that we often use again in this church, this idea that we all get to play. And um, so last week, a couple of weeks ago, Lynn spoke about kind of healing and miracles, and I love the way that she spoke as an evangelist. Mark came and spoke last week on prophecy um, with his kind of, kind of prophetic mantle, and you can listen to those talks. And so I get the joy of speaking on the gift of faith, the gift of wisdom, and the gift of discernment. And, uh, but I also wanted to lay the foundation, so I was thinking about it. I kind of come as a pastor, as a teacher, and hopefully you got a handout as you came in, partly because I thought if those guys can only cover maybe one and a half, I've got to get free in as well as lay a foundation. So I might not necessarily refer to all these verses, but I would encourage you to go away and to read them and to study them and to learn about them. But I thought it was important to kind of lay a foundation to not just why we're doing this series, but also kind of what these gifts are about. So let me just do my next slide. Lego. It will make sense. So firstly, when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, there are many gifts out there. We're just focusing in on 12 in particular. But there are other gifts, and some of these I even mentioned at the end. If you kind of carried on reading from where Katie was, um, it gives you a few more additional ones at the end. For example, like the gift of administration and the gift of helping others. There are other gifts out there that we're focusing in on these gifts. But one of the key things is whatever gifts we are talking about um, in what we call the New Testament, what was written after Jesus has died, is this idea to eagerly desire greater gifts, to have this hunger and say, God, we want more of it. If you're kind of thinking, why has he got Lego? I might refer to it a few times, but not always. But this idea is like all that Lego out there, there are lots of different gifts. There's lots of different colors. There's lots of different shapes. He's inviting us. It says in James 4, you do not have because you do not ask. And maybe if nothing else from the talks that we've been doing, it will begin just to whet your appetite. You're like, wow, I want to move in that. I want to experience that gift. Secondly, the word used for gift here and elsewhere in all the other examples of gifts in the New Testament is this word kind of charisma that kind of has its root, this word charis, which is normally translated in the Bible as grace. And grace can be defined as the unmerited favor of God towards the undeserving. So what he's really trying to say as we talk about these gifts is you cannot earn them. 
These gifts are gifts not because we have done this and therefore I deserve this from God. And that's quite crucial when it comes to these gifts. It's quite crucial, even though we're kind of three quarters of the way through, that you might think, I do not qualify for these things. If I did this, that, and the other, whatever you want to put as that kind of criteria, then maybe somehow we're in those gifts. These gifts are dependent on God and his generosity and his goodness. It's actually not dependent on character. And this is quite crucial because sometimes people are put off seeking and desiring these gifts because maybe they have heard or read about somebody who's maybe particularly gifted, this tends to be the case, maybe in healing or the prophetic, somebody who can maybe hear God's voice and be able to tell you your bank card details, but their actual life is in a mess and maybe some of the views that they have would not be seen as traditional biblical views. However, having a gift does not make you spiritual. If you want to have a great example of that, there's a lovely story in a book in the Old Testament called Numbers where God speaks through a donkey. He gives a prophetic word through a donkey. It's not dependent on your kind of gifting, your character. This is God's goodness to us. And this has often caused confusion in the church, the Christian world, because it sometimes doesn't seem to make sense of how we think God should act. But my conclusion on reading lots of the stories and seeking to learn from the good of some people that God has used in amazing ways, particularly in the gifts of healing and prophetic, yet being aware that their lives in so many ways don't line up with what I would think following Jesus looks like, is that God is so desperate to see these gifts used and outworked for the benefit of the body of the church, because if you read the next verse after Katie read in 1 Corinthians 12, there's a little section on the body of Christ, the church, that God is so desperate. He's like, I so want to see these gifts used and outworked that he's willing to give them to anyone who's willing to ask for them and takes the steps of faith to outwork them. And so let that encourage us, let that challenge us, that these gifts are God's gifts. We don't earn them. Maybe we don't even necessarily deserve them. But he's saying to us, come and ask me for those gifts. However, there is a responsibility. You could think of these gifts as talents. You could think of them as kind of like a work in progress, which is why, again, I use that illustration of Lego. It's there, but that what we do with them, how we use them, is inviting us to participate. And both Lynn and Mark, and again, if you weren't here, those talks, don't worry, you can listen to them online, but they both kind of talked about this idea that these gifts, maybe look at them as not coming as a finished product, but as something that we get the bare materials of, like Lego, but we have to begin to take opportunities and take steps of faith to grow in. So, for example, if Mark was talking last week about hearing God's voice, and we created an opportunity at the end of the service just to practice, to try out, to maybe go up to somebody and I say, I feel like God might be saying this to you. I had this first picture. Does it mean anything to you? This idea of growing and developing and in those gifts, a bit like a, a talent, a gift. How are you going to outwork it? So there is a responsibility and there's a story, a parable, as we call them, in, that Jesus shared. We, he shared a, a parable about talents, where different people were given different amounts of money. And then later on, he challenged them about how did you use that? 
Was it used for good? And, um, and so as we encourage each other to go for gifts, there is that responsibility as well. How are we going to use these? And I feel for some people, God is maybe speaking to you again. Maybe as we've been doing this series, you're thinking, I used to have that gift. I seem to use it a lot more last year or five years ago, ten years ago, fill in the, in, in the gap. And God's saying, it's time to begin to use that gift again. It's time to begin to step out and use that again. And lastly, as the one speaking on the kind of, with a more kind of pastoral um, perspective, these gifts need to be outworked and rooted in love. And again, I kind of summarizing it for you and I encourage you to go away. That's why I put the passages there. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, the next chapter after we read, is all about love. And it's interesting, a number of these gifts that are referred to in this passage are referred to again in that context. He actually refers to one of the ones I'm going to talk about in a minute. It says, you know, if you have the gift of faith to move mountains, but have no love, then it's nothing. Something that we would go, wow. It would be particularly good if you're into kind of a fell mountain climbing. Just get the mountain out of the way. Oh, make life so much easier. And um, in his life, there's no love. It is nothing. And so again, as we look, particularly the free gifts I'm going to be looking at, keep that in mind. So the gift of faith. I want to start by just kind of mentioning that actually there's three kinds of three times in the Bible that they talk about kind of faith or a gift of kind of faith. And the first one is this idea for salvation. So you hear in Romans 10, 17, I will read some of these verses, but not all of them. It says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is a faith that a person receives through hearing the preaching of the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came because what he did on the cross for his life, for his resurrection, we can come into a new way of doing life. The things that we could not do in our natural own strength, through his strength, through our surrender, but by saying, Jesus, I want you to make you Lord and Savior of my life, that we can, in that level of faith, have salvation. As it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, as in you can't earn it, least anyone should boast. This is a grace of God that brings salvation through faith. And I just want to pause there because it feels like I could just rush on. But maybe for somebody, this is the best gift that you can get today, this bit of faith. It's not the one that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. And so as I've been talking and you think, you know, I'd like to have that gift of a transformed life by Jesus. I would just encourage you just to pray a simple prayer like this. Jesus, I need you. I need you to come and change my life. I'm willing to surrender everything in me to let you come and live in me and through me. Through what you did by dying on the cross for me. Amen. And, um, and if that saint maybe prayed for the first time, or maybe a new, come and speak to me, uh, or Pete, who was hosting at the end. 
So there's a faith for salvation. There's also faith as a fruit of the Spirit. It's a kind of thing that if you're a child and you're brought up in church, you memorize this verse, but I'm going to read it because I always miss out one. And uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such things there is no law. I thought I'd read it in a different translation. But then thirdly is what we want to talk about today. This kind of idea of the gift of faith or kind of miraculous uh, faith. The gift of faith may be defined as the special gift where the Spirit provides a follower of Jesus with an extraordinary confidence in God's promises, power, and presence. An extraordinary confidence in God, His Word, and His promises that causes you to do things that you would not normally do in your own level or confidence in yourself or even in God. There's a guy who's kind of well-known in the Christian world called Mark Marx that does sink healing on the streets. And people often come up to him and say, oh, you must have the gift of healing. He goes, no, no, I don't have a gift of healing. I have the, the gift of faith. I have a real confidence in God to come and heal people. And I think for me, a couple of times where I felt like I've seen this outworked in my life is probably similar to that. I've been in situations before. I remember a number of years ago, I was at a conference and it's hard to explain, but I just, I would say it as a gift of faith. I just had a confidence. We're having a time, we're praying for sick people, and I knew that didn't matter who came, they were going to get healed. It, this level of confidence was seen. I remember there's a person there whose leg was short in the uterine. I mean, don't like, sometimes people do this, and it's, you can hardly see it. You know, it's like, this was like three inches. You know, it was kind of very clear this was either going to happen or not. And I just remember, and this is not to do with me but just a sense of the gift of God, of faith, kind of working in that environment. And there was such a level of confidence in God and what he could do. I was like, hey, who's never seen a leg grow? Gather around, because this is going to happen. There was no shadow of doubt in my mind that God was going to do something there. Probably the other way I most see it is seeing, which I sometimes you have in it natural, but just to see it grow. And again, I see this a lot in the environments I work. I work with a lot of people who work in Muslim environments, which are really hard and really difficult. So I always see it as one of my, I say responsibility makes it sound heavy, but I see it as one of my privileges to release kind of joy and laughter and hope. And uh, don't make me laugh, Katie. And um, I just go into those environments, and I just know because of who God is and because the kingdom of God says it's full of hope and joy that is just going to begin to happen and I have no shadow of doubt it's going to be it's just kind of like when is it going to happen and when is it going to look like and I love seeing it happen and so there's this extraordinary confidence in God's promises and power and so you see this in this passage now I need to put my glasses on of Jesus and it says this the next day, as they, that's Jesus and his disciples, were leaving a place called Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing a distance, a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he could find nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from your fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. In the morning, and a bit later on, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. 
Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And I don't want you to kind of get down, we can have this discussion at a time, I don't have the time just to discuss about the particular incident and whether it was fair on the fig tree or not. It was a principle of what Jesus was trying to teach and demonstrate. The actual word there about have faith in God, it really says means have the faith of God. God has all wisdom, all knowledge, has all faith. And when the gift of faith comes, he's like he gives you a little bit of himself so that you can begin to step out. That's why there's a passage that I refer to it about if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it can accomplish much. Because you actually don't need much of this faith of God to see a lot happen. But the important thing is you need to begin to outwork. It's like all these gifts. Unless you begin to do something, it's never going to happen. It's all hypothetical. Be it healing, be it prophecy, you need to step out. And so there's this passage there where Elijah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, and, um, and James in the New Testament refers to him, and it says, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And this is when just the gift of faith is being released and outworked with the gift of healing. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Actually, we referred to this about sins a bit earlier on. It says, Elijah was a human being even as we were. He prayed earnestly it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. As he stepped out, like, this is what God, you have said, then it didn't rain, and then it did rain. And so there's other stories there in the, the Bible. There's some crazy stories. Some of them you might be aware of, like calming the storm. If you don't aware, at one point, the sun was stopped. But it's when this kind of gift of faith comes upon you and you have real confidence in who God is. Moving on, because I, I am going to try to get through all my gifts, is wisdom. A word of wisdom. Again, it's worthwhile to note the similarities and differences between a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. Because actually, wisdom and knowledge, normally they get taught together because they're so uh, intertwined. And at times, people sometimes go, is this a word of wisdom or this word of knowledge? In some ways, I feel like, in some ways, it's irrelevant. It's more like, is this person being impacted by something of God that brings change, that brings transformation? But generally, having read a little bit around this, the difference between wisdom and knowledge is this. Knowledge gives us facts about a person. So I have seen that at work in my life, where there's a piece of fact or information about a person that I would not know unless God told me. If I had more time, I would share stories, but I wasn't teaching on the knowledge. But wisdom shows us what to do about those facts. If you have all the wisdom of the world but have no facts, you cannot make much direct application of it. It's just kind of general. On the other hand, if you know all the facts, unless you have wisdom, you're not likely to advise them necessarily in a good way, which is why they often work together. And I love the way that it was nicely summarized, and it's on your sheets, Proverbs 15.2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, 
but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The wise uses knowledge wisely. So as I said about faith, wisdom, God has all the wisdom in the world, and we need to just call out to him and say, give it to us. As a kind of pastoral staff, this week we had kind of a difficult situation we were dealing with, and we kind of bouncing ideas around and just like, oh, what do we do in this situation? And then we just paused and said, God, we need a word of wisdom. We know a lot of the information. In some ways, we've got too much information. We need wisdom to know what to do in that situation. And some of the main ways you see that worked in the Bible, and I'm not necessarily going to read through all of it, is actually in leadership situations. There's one here in Acts chapter 6 where there's kind of like there's been this kind of disagreement amongst the early church where some of the poor are being neglected and the leaders are thinking, we can't do everything. How do we use our time? And then God just kind of gives a word of wisdom and says, as leaders, this is in verse 4, you're to give yourself to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's to be your first kind of priority. And so the, the Holy Spirit gave that kind of wisdom direction. And it's not on there. You have to look at it in the next verse. Go back to your Bible this afternoon in verse 5. And it says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Their response to hearing that wisdom was, This is good. So we need wisdom. Lastly, because I do want to give some time just to kind of respond. The gift of discernment. And this can be defined as to recognize, distinguish between, and I'll give a little bit more explanation in a minute. Kind of word of knowledge is kind of the impartation of a fact about a situation. Discernment is kind of like a form of direct perception. And I'll give some examples in a minute to try to explain it. But one of the key things which I want to mention here links back to something I said at the beginning, and uh, I think I have it on the next verse, and it says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have the power of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And the bit I want to just highlight there, partly the discernment, but it says trained. And it goes back to what I said in this relationship to any of these gifts. We can receive them like Lego, but we have that challenge to kind of outwork them, to practice, to test, to see what that might look like. So what does practically discernment mean by? It can mean firstly like discerning like kind of what's God doing, the Holy Spirit. Pete modeled this very well this morning. It's, I always think this is a great gift that one needs when one's leading a service, like hosting in particular. The question I'm always asking, and I often write it at the top of my sermon notes as I stand up, is what's God doing? What is God doing here? I have a responsibility in this kind of scenario in any area I'm leading. What is the Holy Spirit doing? What is he, what's happening here? Beyond what I can see with, with my eyes. A good example of this is this a story in a book called Acts. In the Bible, Acts chapter 2, and it's a story that's often called Pentecost. And that's the time when the Holy Spirit first fell. 
And some people came along and said, oh, they're drunk. You see, they discerned it wrong. They thought these people had been drinking too much. That's why they were acting in that way. Rather than looking at it and going, the Holy Spirit that's been prophesied for years has begun to come in this way. And some people missed it. And so my responsibility as a leader is to know what is happening here. Look beyond maybe some of the, kind of the, the noise that might have made them think this is um, them drinking too much. And to see the Spirit of God. What is God doing in this place, in this time, in this situation? So that I would not judge it wrong. Because it's easy to look at things from the exterior, but miss what is happening down below. Secondly, there's this kind of like discernment of just like what is happening in kind of people's lives, in people's situations. What's happening in them. I mean, this can be positive. So there's an example there. One of Jesus' disciples, Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him instead of him. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. He just discerned that this was an honest man who was seeking God. But sometimes it can be different. And I'm more aware of that in my life, just to give a couple of quick examples. One of the things that's famous in my family was the last thing I did the night before I got married was I wrote a letter to someone in my life group. There'd been a lady that just started coming to our life group and kind of kept sharing words she felt were from God. And I wasn't so convinced they were from God. Uh, or the, maybe the, the spirit behind them wasn't so good. So I would say now I was using this spirit of uh, kind of discernment. So I just wrote her a letter and said, hey, glad you're in our group, really value you being here. But before you share anything, this was particularly important because this group was actually an early church plant. We were like totally by ourselves in a new city. So it was important I got it right. And so I said, if you get anything, you feel like it's from God, can you just come to me first and just tell me? Then I will decide. And they said to me they needed to share it because if not, God was going to judge them. And so I said, don't worry, you share it with me. You've done your job. Let God judge me if I don't share it. And um, it was the last I ever saw her. Uh, a few months later, we are at a gathering, or this was in Coventry, of pastors. And this conversation came up about this lady who had been going from church to church, trying to give her words in those situations. Again, I remember where I was in a church, and my job was to be in charge of prayer. Well, my job was in charge of prayer. And so I kept being asked if I would let this other lady that had a history of doing stuff about prayer lead be involved in running one of the prayer meetings, and I said, no. Something inside me discerns that this is not a good person to lead prayer meetings. And I remember it came to head about a year later, this lady had to be held back by her husband from attacking me, uh, just screaming and yelling at me. And I thought I was right. And, uh, and for the really, <laughs> I was right. <laughs> so that... That lady never led a prayer meeting when I was in charge. And, uh, and so that is just, maybe it's just some examples of just, <laughs> it wasn't meant to be a joke, just discernment, looking to see what is happening and looking and therefore responding appropriately to it. So I've kind of rushed through there a whole load of different gifts. I've given you some notes so that you can go deeper 
and to maybe hunger your appetite, but hopefully there's enough there to get you thinking about it. So let's come back as we begin to come into time of ministry, come back to where we started. These gifts are like Lego maybe. What's God inviting you? I feel like God's saying, you know, we say everyone gets to play and, and God's saying, come and play. What do you actually want? And the other thing I want to do again with a, a pastor's hat on as we just come to time of ministry is, and I said this to my life group, we were talking about this on, on Wednesday night. Let's not forget what this is about. Ultimately, it's about the giver. You know, as parents, if you're not a parent and if you've been a child, you would have had this experience anyhow. One of the things you try to teach your kids, particularly as it's coming up to Christmas, is when somebody gives you a gift, don't just run off with that gift. Make sure you turn and say, thank you, uncle or auntie, and, you know, respond uh, uh, appropriately. Let's not forget the giver. As we talk about these gifts and eagerly desire them, that's where we start. So I was just pausing this morning. I was reminded of a, an old song. It's probably as old as the refiner's fire. And uh, which was, as the tear pants forth the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Let that be where this comes from. Yeah, let's eagerly desire those greater gifts. Let's step out in these gifts, but let it always be rooted in that place of intimacy. So I'm going to ask Pete to come up and give me a hand. Ben, why don't you kind of come up? And let's just stand. Because ultimately, this, there's probably a lot of different things there, and we'll see what the Spirit wants to do. But ultimately, all of this starts and begins in the pursuit and the waiting on the Holy Spirit, the giver. Maybe come with that expectation, you know, like children, when they know it's Christmas, and they see those gifts at the, bot- you know, at the bottom of the Christmas tree. And we've been, people like Mark and Lena and myself have been coming along and just explaining some of those gifts. Because maybe all you could see before was like the shape you know, when you see the, 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 the gifts at the bottom of the tree and they're all kind of different shapes. So we've been coming along explaining what some of those shapes are. And he's just inviting you. So I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit. And then, yeah, P and I are going to use a lot of the gift of wisdom and discernment. So just come, Holy Spirit. I didn't encourage you to just kind of come with a kind of open hand, open heart. You don't have to, but sometimes it helps. Just maybe just to close your eyes to kind of help you focus.